Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. She grabbed me by the shoulders. He looked me square in the eye. And without a hint of self-pity, he, he said, when God gave me this disease, he gave it to the right person. I'm going to do something really good with this. This is Showtime with Coop Podcast, presented by BetOnline.ag on CLNS Media. As a quick reminder, please hit that subscription button if you have not yet already. That way, every time we release a new podcast, it shows up automatically in your feed. And please give us a rating. It really helps other people find the podcast. This is Showtime with Coop. Insightful BS by my legend friends and other legend NBA players. And this young man, and I would be remiss if I didn't include him as far as being a legend. Uh, a lot of people may say, who is Gary Vitti? I'm getting ready to tell you a little bit about Gary Vitti. You started the... National Athletic Trainers Association annual blood drive, which they named after you. Congratulations. I didn't know that. And again, doing my homework, my background work on you, I see a lot of things that you're involved with. Red Cross, Salvation Army, St. Jude's Hospital, the Boys and Girls Club of America. Ladies and gentlemen, and that's just to name a few, ladies and gentlemen, my friend, uh, my nemesis at time, especially in that training room. The one and only Gary Beatty. Gary, how are you doing? And hopefully you're staying safe. Uh, all things considered, we're doing, we're doing really well. Um, our lives really haven't changed that much in the sense that I retired four years ago. So I've been home. Uh, my wife, Martha, has been working from home for two years. And, and so the, the first month of that, we, we went through everything I've done wrong for the last 15 years. So we got rid of that part. And so uh, as a result, um, um, we're, we're fine. We're staying safe. Uh, we don't get to see our grandson as much as we like because of the, you know, the quarantine issues. Uh, but we do see him at least once a week, and we do our social distancing and, and precautionary masks and so on and so forth. So we're safe. That's good. Gary, I'm going to get right into it, and, and, and you might, I might seem like I'm kind of stupid on this, but I remember when I first joined the Lakers in 1970, 
79, my first year in the league, we had a trainer named Jack Curran. And Jack was a tremendous trainer. He had that old school with the late, great uh, Dr. Curlin, who would, if you were injured, he'd push it real hard and, and make you say, ow, just to find out where you were hurting. So once Jack left, I, I tell you the truth, Gary, I don't even remember when you joined us. When did you come on board with the Lakers? Yeah, I, I came on board uh, the 84-85 season. So uh, you guys had just lost to the Celtics again. And and Pat wanted to um, do whatever he could to, to try to switch things up. And I think he, he thought, you know, the training room um, might have been one place. And, and, you know, Jack was – he was ready to go to the FBI. That's what happened. Um, mm-hmm. The Lakers and, and went to Quantico and started working with FBI agents. And that left the position open. Um I had spent a couple of years with the Utah Jazz in 80, 80, 81, 81, 82. As a result, got to know Bill Burka. And so when, when Coach Riley was looking for an athletic trainer, Bert suggested me. Um, Jerry West called me. Uh, and I, I, you know, I don't know if you know this, I wrote a book. Uh, yeah. Yeah, 32 years of titles and tears from the best seat in the house. And, I describe this as I really loved academia. I, 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 having worked in the NBA with the Jazz, I was not in any rush to go back to the NBA. Um, I really liked where I was at. Uh, but it's, it's, you know, when Jerry West calls you, you pick up the phone. And they flew me first class to L.A. I had never flown first class before. Jerry West picks me up at the airport um, in a navy blue Mercedes with tan interior. And I had never been in a Mercedes before. (laughs) Jerry West is driving it. And he drives me to the fabulous forum. And it just happened to be that day the USA basketball was playing Spain for the gold medal in the 84 Olympics. Wow. And that's the day I'm interviewing with Riley and, and Jerry West. And, um, you know, all of a sudden, I, you know, I felt like I was on this magic carpet ride. And, and I, you know, I leave the forum and all of a sudden I really want this job. And Pat and I had a great several hours together about what we would do differently, um, what you guys were doing. And uh, suddenly I really wanted the job. And, you know, 32 years later, who would have thought, you know, I'd still be there and went to the finals 12 times and we won eight rings. Well, during my tenure, not that I had anything to do. I never scored a basket, assist, or got a rebound. But um, I was involved with the guys that, that did do that and, and um, had a great run, man. I had a great career. What got you into to being, wanting to be a trainer? Okay, so – so one of the things about being an athletic trainer, and, and this, when I get to the player part, it's not, it's not necessarily you, by the way, but most, okay? The difference between an athletic trainer and an athlete is that athletic trainers are givers. Most athletes are takers. And, <laughs> and to be, yeah, like I, I, I said, not necessarily you. You were very generous, very generous to me. Um, but most I athletes, love you, Gary. Thank you for that. <laughs> As you know, most athletes are takers. Well, it's, it's really hard 
for a giver to go with a giver because givers have a hard time taking. When you offer a giver something, they're like, well, thanks, but it's okay. You know, I don't need it. Even if they really do need help, they, they won't ask for it. They won't, they won't take it. But givers go with takers and takers never go with takers. Takers always go with givers. So there is, there is something in it for me um, being a giver that there are people that needed help. And, and I felt that I could be one of those people that could learn how to help them. And going back to Bill Bean, the head athletic trainer there that, that gave me my first break, he was a great athletic trainer. He had a big heart and open mind. And I just saw him. What grabbed me was him. And I just wanted to be him. I, I, I followed him around like a little puppy dog. And, and whatever Bill did, I did. And, and, and um, you know, he, he, had, he had so much respect from the people around him because he earned it uh with his his heart and his mind and his soul and and it's it's you know i wanted to aspire to, to be that to have people look at me that way i'm not sure that i i did that but but um that's what grabbed me was you know the, the bill was such a giver and 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 wanted to help people and, and that, that was that was kind of i guess what got me well Vic, you've accomplished that okay so finally you get to the lakers we win in 80 we lose in 81, we win a championship in 82, we lose in 83-84. You're talking to Pat Riley, what are some of the things that you thought that you could bring to really take us to the next level? Yeah, probably the the, the some of the main stuff was first off a strength training program. So at the time, um, strength training, like being in the weight room was really looked down upon uh, by many athletes in the NBA. They, felt like it would ruin your your shot um you and know, Gary that was kind of like non-existent I mean we didn't really pay attention in there so that, yep, that, yep, that's yep. correct and my observation was um the Lakers are really getting beat up physically by the Eastern Conference teams um you know specifically the Celtics you know I think your listeners today um if they're watching the modern game it, Michael, you know, it's nothing like what we played back, exactly. back in the 80s. These guys are flying up and down the court now. There's nobody in the low post, nobody who plays with their back to the basket. We yep. have the greatest in the, in the history of the game in Kareem Abdul-Jabbar that will go down and take the block, and, and we don't see that now. They're just flying around. Um, you know, you pass up a layup for a three-point shot. You know, so there is, there is a lot of banging in, in the paint. And, and so, you know, I said, Riles, I think, you know, you, you got to beef up these guys in, in the weight room. Not everybody. Certainly you weren't a guy that, yeah. you know, I mean, you were wiry strong and you had, you were really long, you know, you had a uh, great range with your legs and your, and your, your arms and great timing and agility and, and, you know, it set you apart, but you know, the bigger players, the front court guys needed to get, you know, stronger. And so he liked that idea. And, you know, the idea of sports nutrition was just coming around. He liked that. There was some flexibility things um, that, you know, I thought could be done differently. If you remember the year before I got there, I think Byron Scott uh, tore his hamstring 
I might have even been in training camp um, because of some of the poor yeah. stretching techniques that were being done. So there was, there was a, a lot of stuff, and then there was even some sports psychology things. Um, you know, I think one of the lines that grabbed Pat, and I, I write this in the book, that um, we were talking about strength training. You know, I brought up something that's called a periodization model. And, and you just don't go in a weight room and, and lift. Guys do different things, okay, depending on what their needs are. And, and then you create this model that's called a periodization, and then there's a, a, a taper that, that takes place where, you know, you sort of back off and get ready for competition. For instance, you don't want to run, you know, 20 miles the day before you're going to run a marathon, right? And, and so I use this term, the point of diminishing returns with, with Pat. And he goes, ah, point of diminishing returns. And I saw him, he wrote it down. After he hired me, I heard him use that term several times, use it in different contexts, but he used it. So there were certain things on that interview that I think that grabbed Coach Riley. Um, Jerry and I didn't talk philosophy at all. It was uh, more, you know, how much you're going to get paid, what your contract going to look like, that kind of thing. And Jerry said to me, um, do you have any questions? And, and I said, yeah, uh, and you'll remember this. I said, I was on the bench in Salt Lake City when the Lakers fired Coach Westhead. Mm -hmm. That happened in Salt Lake, and I was working for the Jazz at the time. And, of course, the rumor was that, yo, Magic didn't want him around and got rid of him. And so whether that's true or not, that was the rumor. And so I said to Jerry, I said, and, and I was there. You know, I, I, I saw what happened, you know, I don't want that to happen to me. So the bottom <laughs> line is, right? the bottom line is, is you know who who am I loyal to over here? <laughs> you know, and and Jerry, um, he said, you know something. He goes, I'm going to let Pat Riley make the decision as to who we hire because, you know, he's the one that's got to work with with the athletic trainer. He says, but I hope he hires you because I like you. Said, and I want you to remember one thing. If, if Pat hires you, I want you to remember one thing. And he leans back in his chair and he pounds his test, chest and says, I'm the boss. <laughs> and, and as a result, I had a great relationship with, with Jerry. And, and I had a really great relationship with, with Riles. I mean, you know, I talk about him in the book that he was, he was, you know, he was intense, right? I mean, you know, he was intense. Oh. And, and, and towards the end there, he became maniacal in, in many ways. Um, Nicer word, Gary, than other yeah. than saying crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I say it in the book that, that, that Josh Rosenfeld, remember Josh? Yes, sir. <laughs> Josh nicknamed him Norman Bates from the movie <laughs> Psycho. That was his nickname behind his back, you know? And, and I write it, I said, but I, I started to think that I had a little bit of Norman Bates in me because I understood what, where Pat was coming from. So that kind of, I started thinking I'm a little crazy too, you know, but I mean, think about what we did though. You know, we won the back to back that hadn't been done in 19 years. Finally beat the Celtics, you know, all the skeletons came out of the closet and 
shoved a leprechaun in there, you know, and, and yeah. <laughs> I'm liking that, Gary. But you know what? And I always say this about the Laker organization because it's the only organization I've ever p- played for is that greatness starts from the top. And I think, um, and, and you hit it right on the head. Dr. Buss obviously was at the pinnacle of everything, but everybody was always working together as one. And again, everybody allowed other player, other people to uh, do their thing um, the way you can. But if you didn't do it the right way, I think people were there not to chastise you, but to, to help you get better. And I think, again, the relationship that you just explained between yourself, Jerry, and Pat Riley is what is filtered down to us. So um, we became better players. The one thing, and, and Gary, not jumping off the subject, that I want to say about you, you were very unusual other than the trainers. Uh, 79 coming in, 80, 81, 82. We always had a trainer that wore khaki pants, some kind of polo shirt, and uh, that was it. Gary brought in that, that, that cool style with your suits and everything. And I remember you used to tell me when I would come to the games, man, take that, take that shit off, man. <laughs> you used to make us dress accordingly because you were always, I'm not going to say GQ because that was Pat Riley, but you were always impeccably dressed nice. And I think you changed that for trainers in today's game. You probably were one of the first ones that wore a suit and, and tie and looked nice and appropriate over there. Yeah, I I thought it was important to to try to look the part, um, you know, because I think the the image of the old athletic trainer was, you know, he got a cigar in his mouth, and if he got hurt, he came out with a bucket and a sponge, you know. Um, so yeah, there is there was some of that. If if you remember, you know, we used to fly commercially in those yep. days. Remember, and yep. and we used to get on the plane with sports jackets and collared shirts and you know what I mean? We, we, we look like a, um, a professional team, you know, and I, I think that's been lost. Of course now, you know, there's charter flights and that. Yeah. Happens. The players today have no idea what you guys went through. No. And mean, they don't know what you took us through because if we came with some fake leather, you'd be like, man, take that pleather shit off. <laughs> We had a lot of fun, man. We had a lot of fun. I, I talk about you in the book. We used to play the paper game. We used to read the newspaper. People, yes. Somebody chopped that paper out of your hand in the middle of the airport and embarrass you and scare you and everything. And, and then the only one that, that was untouchable was Kareem, you know, because everybody was afraid of him, you know. And, and so one day we're in the locker room. This, this is a true story, all right, okay? So one day we're in the locker room, and, and Coop and, and Magic, you know, they were buds, okay? They sat together on the airplane. You know, Magic <laughs> sat in the window seat. Coop sat in the aisle. And their lockers were next to each other in the locker room, and they were right across, straight across the locker room from Kareem's locker. So, so Kareem's out there with his newspaper out like this reading, you know, and nobody did that because if you did that, somebody was going to sneak up and smack it out of your hand, make a big loud noise. If you were holding it real tight, it would tear in half. It was a childish game, obviously. Right? <laughs> but we enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, we had a great time, you know, because everybody would laugh, hey, you know, that kind of thing. And like, like if it slipped your mind to do it, 
you had it was a, you were a target. You know, people were sneaking <laughs> around trying to get to you without you seeing. And so <clears throat> Coop leans over to Magic and goes, "I'll give you a hundred bucks if you smack that paper <laughs> out of Kareem's hand." Magic looks at Coop and goes, hundred bucks? Shit. He gets up, whack, smacks the paper <laughs> out of Kareem's hand. Kareem <laughs> very calmly looks up and looks at Coop and says, I heard that, Coop. <laughs> the payback wasn't going to Magic. It was going to Coop. Oh, and I felt it. And, and, and Kareem... I mean, I love him. You know, I still talk to him to this day. But, you know, he was rough, man. I mean, you didn't mess with him. And he was calculated. Very. He waited, and he waited and he waited for the right time for the payback. We're on an airplane, Northwest Airlines out of Detroit. I remember like it was yesterday. And Coop would always sleep with a blanket over his head. He slept hard. He got on a plane, he put a blanket over his head, he'd fall asleep. All of a sudden, I see Kareem sneaking around. Gary, you saw that and didn't stop him? <laughs> I didn't know what he was doing, right? <clears throat> so, but I probably wouldn't have anyway. I was afraid of him, okay? And so he, he, he pulled the blanket off of, of Coop's head just enough to put a dab of nair right on his head right here. Now, he, he wasn't bald at the time. Coop had hair, okay? And within four, five, six minutes, his, his head starts burning, okay? Ah, he wait, it wakes him up. Ah, he's rubbing his head. And he had about a nickel-sized hole. <laughs> and, and Gary, I say, Green started my premature bald, man. <laughs> <laughs> Gary, I'm not feeling good about you now. You saw that happen and you let it go down? You're supposed to help us, man. <laughs> was, I mean, we had a group of guys, and, you know, you talked about leadership coming from the top on down. And, you know, in my 32 years, we went to the finals 12 times. I had 13 coaches. My eight rings are with two. So what was there about Pat Riley and Phil Jackson, you know, with sometimes more talent in some of those years in the Phil, you know, prior to Phil coming, we had more talent and we didn't win. What was there about those two guys? And they did it in different ways, but they both had the ability to, to take young men with giant egos and their own agendas and have them sacrifice a piece of themselves for the good of the whole. And, and they did that. Yeah. And especially, you know, and, and, and Shaq used to really get angry with me because the only ring that I wore was 87. Uh -huh. I, I wore 85 for two years, and, and, which is my, my all-time favorite, 1985. But my, my daughter, Coop, you know her, Rachel, was born yeah. in 87. Uh -huh. We won the championship in, in June, and then she was born in August. And I started wearing that ring in honor of that year, winning a championship and, and having my, my, my first child. And I never wore the 85 ring again, and I never wore any of the other six rings. And Shaq used to give me a hard time. How come you don't wear a ring that I, I won for you? And, and 
even though I love those teams, you know, the millennial teams when, when, when Phil came, it wasn't the same. Mm-hmm. Okay. The, the, the Showtime era was really the golden era of basketball. What a great bunch of guys, um, one through 12. You know, we didn't have 15 players back yep. then. You had 12. You might sign a guy to a 10-day contract here and there, you know. And, and I have a soft spot in my heart for, for every one of those guys. And, and I still communicate with, with you know, with you and, 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 and a lot of the other guys. And um, it was special, man. It was a special team, you know. Even the memory when, when – when Riley guaranteed the back-to-back. Yep, yep. I mean, that was – think about that. That had not been done in 19 years, and he goes ahead and guarantees it. But when you look at it in retrospect, he really challenged everybody to be the best that they could be. And that was a feat, winning the back-to-back. But what was a greater feat was we had to win three seven-game series to get it done. So if if anyone has ever been in one seven-game series, it's a nightmare, right? It's the the tension, the pressure. Try doing it three three times we faced elimination and three times. And it really taught me something about never giving up, Mm -hmm. ever. Mm -hmm. And, And later in my life, I had some adversity. And it was that team that I really believe helped me, you know, not give up, you know, n- never give up my resolve to, to get through it and, and, and get through it the right way. And fight through those challenges. And I'm going to say this to you, Gary, especially that particular season. Um, I remember you telling us right after we had won and Pat got up there and said, hey, I guarantee you, that we're going to win again. But the one thing that you told us before, he says, you know what, you guys, in order for you guys to do this, you're going to have to come in shape next year. And I thought that was real important because remember we used to run the treadmill and I think that you made that competitive for us. Mm-hmm. I think AC Green was competitive of the guard. Everybody worked hard and we, yeah, we took a little time off for the off season, but we got back in the gym and got our, our conditioning together to where we knew coming into training camp wasn't about getting into shape. It was about getting our game together. Yeah, and, and prior to those years, it, it was very common that training camp was a time to get in shape to play the season. And we, we pretty much changed that. We got into shape before we went to training camp. Yep. Training camp was more about, you know, I, I mean, I was surprised. My first day on the, uh, of training camp at College of the Desert, 1984, I just thought you guys ran the fast break. I didn't think you actually practiced it. Okay, remember we had sideline break, and you know, we, there, James Worthy was practically running out of bounds on the sideline. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, it was it was really interesting to me. I mean, the guys were real thoroughbreds, and um, in, in in terms of those treadmill tests. Um, you know, VO2 max and, and, and seeing who was in shape and who wasn't. If you remember, uh, you were number one and I was number two because I used to do the test too. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> Try to lead by example, right? Until AC came. 
okay? <laughs> then AC became one, and then you were two and I was three. Yeah. In, in terms of, you, we were like 18 plus minutes. Uh, I couldn't catch you guys. I was pretty good, but I couldn't catch you two. I couldn't catch AC. That guy get on there and run, and the incline was going up, and he was still running. Ari, you got something? Yeah, I mean, and, and Gary, I'll just add that we, we did a pod with Kareem. I know Coop feels the same way. 85 for those guys is also um, their favorite championship, too. Also the year I was born, so incidentally that. But um, I, you saw a lot in your time as Lakers athletic trainer. Tell me what it was like when, when Magic was diagnosed with HIV – and you were obviously – I remember there was a period of time where you were criticized for, for a cut he had that you didn't wear gloves on. Like, just what was that experience like for you, and, and how important was it with your relationship with Magic to show support for him in a time where Americans weren't really embracing that? Yeah, so, you know, this is this um, – hopefully I can get through this without getting too emotional because this is a very emotional topic for me. Yeah. And even even now – He's going to outlive us all, okay? So I don't know why I'm still emotional about this, but. Hi, this is Michael Cooper. There's no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, betonline.ag. NASCAR is back, and BetOnline has hundreds of games, events, and sports to still get in on. You can bet on simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC, or even participate in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, a March Madness-style NFL simulation tournament you can enter for free. BetOnline has ex-Chicago Bulls Ron Harper, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges joining them to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they are calling the final dance. Visit the website or use your mobile device and join today to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all the action. Bet online, your online wagering solution. At the time, you know, we thought it, it was a death sentence. Yeah. You know, we, we literally thought he, he was going to die. And so to lay some, some uh, background, um, we go to the finals in 91 against the Bulls and, and we lose. Now, at that time, I had really bought into the American sports creed, and I learned this from Riley, that there's winning and there's misery, and that's it. There's n- nothing in between. And so those years that we lost, you were really miserable like the entire offseason because sports sports is designed to fail. It's not designed to succeed. There's only one team that can win the last game. Everybody else goes home a loser. And the only way you feel better after you've lost is to go out and win. And, and so you have this miserable summer of 91, and then we're going to, you know, we go to training camp. Okay. And, we start off the season by going to Paris to play in the McDonald cup. And we come back and we have two games to play preseason games, one in Salt Lake city and one in Vancouver, British Columbia. And this is before the Grizzlies came into the league. They were trying to put a team there. And so they thought they'd have some preseason games there to try to, you know, stimulate interest. And, and Seattle still had a team. The Sonics were there. And so we would play them in, in Vancouver. 
And so Magic, we get back from Paris and Magic calls me and, and says, you know, I'm really tired. You know, we're going to open up in a few days. I really don't want to go on this, this trip, these last two games. I'd rather stay back and get some rest. I said, okay, let me see what I could do. So I called Jerry West and, and Jerry says, um, the game in Salt Lake is sold out, so you're okay there, but we, the game in Vancouver isn't. And they find out Magic's not coming. They're not going to sell it out. So he's got to go to that game. I said, okay. So I call him up, and, and I said, listen, I got you out of the first game, but you got to go to the second game. And he said to me, well, if I got to go to one, I might as well go to both. I said, well, you know, it's on you. And so he did. So we fly to Salt Lake. We get off the plane. This is before cell phones. And so I get to the hotel, and I have all these – these messages to call the office. It's an emergency. I call the office and Jerry West says, you got to send magic home. So why? He says, well, can't tell you that, but just, you know, send them home. So I call magic and I said, they want me to send you home. He goes, yeah, I got the message. And I said, why? He said, I don't know. I thought you could tell me. I said, I don't know. And so I sent him home and I'm racking my brain. Now we're, we're significantly, in the training camp. We're almost at the end of camp. So all of his physical exam infos come back, his blood panels, his cardiology. I mean, if something was wrong, I would have known about it by then. And so we go to play the game. We had a guard, Tony Smith out of Marquette. And he he worked really, he was working really hard. Um, you know, because he was really a two guard. They were, we used to do this all the time. We used to take two guards and make them point guards, you know. And, 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 and so we were pushing him to the point, and he was working really hard at it, and he blows his ankle out in this preseason game. And he's really, really upset. Now I'm on the bench, and I'm, I'm racking my brain. What could possibly be wrong with Magic Johnson that they made me send him home? And then it hits me that besides the Lakers' preseason physical exam, we took an insurance policy out on it. And so this may sound odd to you, but, you know, if you're an owner of a sports team, the, the players are actually assets. I mean, yeah. you hate to yep. get it that way, but, it, but, but it's the way it is. Yep. That person's an asset. And so you take a life insurance policy out on, on them in case something happens to the guy, you know. And I remember we took one out on, on Magic, and part of that, insurance policy is an HIV screen. See, we don't, we couldn't do that. That's a violation of their civil liberties. If they asked us to do it, we would be happy to do it. But so, and it hit me because, you know, we knew what his lifestyle was like and I'm, I'm, I'm sitting on the bench and I'm getting, I'm starting to, you know, freak out. And then Tony gets hurt and we go in the training room and he's laying on the table and he's really upset. And I, no one's ever terminated their career from an ankle injury, okay? You know, knee injuries, yes, but not ankle, okay? And I, I kind of look at him. I said, listen, I know you're upset, but you're going to get better, okay? There's sick people in the world that aren't. And obviously, he didn't know what I was talking about, right? And so we play the game. We fly to Vancouver. We used to play, stay at this place called the Pan Pacific. It was beautiful view. Vancouver's a beautiful city. Very much so. Yeah, I, I, you know, I couldn't sleep, tossing and turning all night. And the first thing in the morning, Dr. Mickey Melman calls me. And before he says anything, I said, he's HIV positive. He says, yeah. And so 
I said, okay, well, what are we going to do about it? And he said, well, uh, I said, what are the chances of it being a false positive? He said, very low, but we do have to retest them. And he said, we want to test you. And he goes, you can't tell anybody. Okay? And, and I said, what are we going to say? And so he said, well, we're going to tell everybody he's got the flu. And that's what we did. And so seven people knew. And I was one of the seven. Um, you couldn't tell your, your, your own wife. You couldn't tell anybody. You're going to practice every day. Mike Dunleavy's the coach. He's my friend. I'm lying. I'm lying to him. Okay. I'm lying to all the players. Um, I'm lying to the world, really. <clears throat> and, you know, after a couple of weeks of this, you know, he gets retested. And, you know, they realize the only way out of this is he, he has to be, go public because there was so many women, you didn't know how to contact them, you know, how, what were their names or their phone numbers, you know. And you didn't know if they were positive and were they transmitting this disease that we thought was going to kill people, you know. And so finally, um, Lon Rosen, Magic's agent, calls me and, and says, here's what we're going to do. And, and so we were going to go on the road. Um, so this is like a, a, a Tuesday, he calls me. He says, Thursday. Um, we're going on the road. And, and so, you know, we used to fly out of this airfield next to LAX and there's a conference room over there. And, and Lon says, I want you to get the conference room and magic's going to come in and he's going to tell all his teammates and the coaches that he's HIV positive, that he's going to go back to the forum and have a, a press conference. And he's going to tell the world while you guys are on an airplane so that, the teammates don't have to face the, the media. That's a great idea. And so we go to practice the next day, and I, I know this is going to happen, you know, one more day, okay, the next day. And I get a call at Loyola Marymount back in the training room. It's Jerry West. He goes, get everybody out of the gym. There's been a leak. Tell them that to get in their cars. Don't talk to anybody. Don't talk to the media. And come to the forum. And so I go out to the court and I gather everybody, you know, right in the middle of practice, you know, the trainer doesn't stop practice, you know, and I said, listen, I can't tell you what's going on, but you know, everybody get out of here. You're going to get pounded by the media. Don't talk to them and meet, meet back at the forum. And so that's what we did. And then magic walks in, everybody's in the, in the, in the, in the locker room. And then I realized that, you know, it's been leaked on the radio and some guys were in their cars listening to music, so they didn't know. Other guys heard the news on, on the radio. So now it's odd that some people know and some people don't know. And so I took it upon myself. It says, everybody know why you're here? And some guys didn't. I said, I didn't say that magic was reported. I said, it's being reported on the air that, magic is hiv positive and he's he's coming down here to talk to you about it so i didn't confirm it so now everybody's on the same page magic walks in and he, he tells everybody and it was extremely emotional i mean it was you know and so then 
as Coop knows this, ma- Magic's had this sort of ability to say the right thing, right, to, to you at the right time, you know, in the right way. Yes. He just had this sort of Midas touch about him that way with people. And so, you know, he tells the group, and then he went around to each person in, in the locker room, you know, gave him a hug and said something, whispered something in his ear. And I was the very last one. The one before me was Bill Burka. And if you know Bert, Bert's a really stoic man. He's got ice running through his veins. Like you never see him emotional, you know. And Magic, you know, hugged him and whispered something in his ear. And um, and Bert's knees buckled, you know. And that really, that shook me because I didn't, I never saw Bert that way. Now, one thing I, I negated to say, when we came back from Vancouver, Dr. Melman said, Magic wants to meet you um, tomorrow when you get back. First thing in the morning before the players get there. He wanted so, to meet you, Gary. Me, personally. Okay. okay. So we met like 7 o'clock in the morning at Loyola. Nobody was around, just the two of us. And I'm a, I'm a wreck, okay? Because I think he's going to die, right? Yeah. yeah. Right. And, and I said, I meet him in the locker room. I have the keys to the locker room. It's just him and I, and he's cool, you know, but I'm not. And I, I said to him, I go, how are you doing? I said, because I'm not, I'm not doing well with this. And, and he, he, he grabbed me by the shoulders. He looked me square in the eye and without a hint of self-pity, he, he said, when God gave me this disease, he gave it to the right person. I'm going to do something really good with this. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, I had so much respect for him, you know, the way he was handling this, but there was also the other side of me saying he's in denial. He doesn't get it. He's going to die and it's going to be a horrible death. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so now two weeks later, you know, he's, he's, He's addressing the team and then each individual. And so this happens with Bert. And then I'm next. I'm the last one. And he starts coming to me. And I said, it's okay, man. We, we already did this. And he hugged me. And what he said to me in my ear was, so I said to him, you know, it's okay. We already did this. And he said, he said, yeah, but it doesn't make it any easier. That's, that's what he said to me. Wow. And then he marched upstairs. And he addressed the world in, uh, in what I would consider one of the bravest things that I had ever witnessed in professional sports. And, and you know what, Gary, as he marched upstairs, I was part of that group up there, and he told me in Dr. Buss's office, and he whispered in my ear, too, and he says, Coop, I got this. I got this. Because I'm thinking like you, Gary, this, this is it. He's over with. But you know what? When he said that, it's like you said – it, it, it was like um, this was for him to carry the burden. Yeah, and he has carried it historically, admirably, and has just made a bit and put a put a a face to a insidious disease. And now look, you know, he said, "I got this, Coop. I got this." I was like you, Gary. I'm crying. My friend is, you know, Matt. I'm crying. He said, "No, Coop. I got this. I'm gonna be all right." So, uh, I mean, what he basically did was he removed the stigma yep. that was associated with HIV positive people. And going back to what, what Ari said, so, so then to fast forward, 
you know, he plays in the All-Star game, okay? Then he plays in the Olympics. Well, those two things were his way of trying to get back into the league. Mm-hmm. He did. And I, in the book, I commend David Stern on how he handled the whole HIV crisis in, in the NBA. I didn't always agree with, with David. He was a rough guy, okay, uh, to work with. But he, I really admire how he handled the HIV thing. He educated himself. He educated the league from the owners right down to the ball boys. Um, he was – I don't think people really realize the amount of pressure that he was under. Um, if he doesn't let Magic come back – you know, you're, you're facing possible lawsuits, you know. Um, if you do let them come back, now you're facing, you know, possible sponsorship issues, players that don't want to play with him, which were very vocal. Carl Malone, Mark Price, very vocal. Even I write in the book that there was an Australian player that said he'd rather take a silver medal than playing the Olympics against Magic Johnson. It cracked me up. You're laughing too. I was like, silver medal? You're not going to win a gold medal without without Magic Johnson. And and just for the record, Australia didn't didn't medal at all in 84. It was U.S., Spain, and Lithuania. Okay, I don't know what that guy was talking about. So Magic decides to, to come back and... You know, I I had a lot of training with Dr. Melman about now being the head athletic trainer of a team that had a known HIV positive player on the team. How do you handle these situations? And so there's this public outcry about him. But what I think people really didn't understand was that his teammates were coming to me behind his back and, and saying, you know, GV, you sure this is okay, man? I mean, he's got to play these other teams a few times a year. I got to practice with him every day. You know, you sure I can't get this? And saying, no, man, it, it, it's a tough disease to get. You can't get it, you know, playing basketball. You know, unlike this COVID-19 thing that we're, yeah. we're seeing today. And so then we go to Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and we're playing the Cleveland Cavaliers, the, the team that Mark Price was on, right? And they had Brad Doherty on that team. And, and so in those days, um, you would go anywhere to, to play a preseason game. So we went all the way across the country. Okay? I mean, now you don't leave California. Okay? <laughs> you go to Vegas, maybe. Okay? You know, the furthest you're going to go is Sacramento, San Diego, Orange County. You know? But in those days, we went everywhere. Okay? And, and didn't make much sense because by the time the season started, the guys were exhausted from the travel. But Brad Doherty played played at UNC and James Worthy played at UNC. Even though they didn't play at the same time, they knew they could sell out the Dean Dome having two ex-Tar Heels come and play against each other. And so that's why we went to Chapel Hill to play that game. Magic sustains a fingernail scratch during the game. I don't notice it. He doesn't notice it. The officials don't notice it. But one of the players on our team noticed it and made me aware of it. So I didn't react. Okay? Um, you know, I didn't see any blood or anything like that. And I waited till there was a dead ball timeout. And 
came to the bench and I started looking at his form and I see this little scratch. It's a non-bloody wound in a very controlled situation. And I got the gloves in, in my pocket and I look up and I see the cameras on me and all the players are staring at me. What am I going to do? Wow. And that's when I decided I'm not putting these gloves on. It's, um, it's a mixed message, you know, that I'm telling these guys, you, you can't get it, but there's this non-bloody wound. I'm going to put gloves on. What does that say to the players? You know, you know, you're protecting yourself, but you're not protecting us. And so I didn't do it. And I took out this six inch cotton tip applicator and, you remember, Coop, I used to spray some sticky stuff on it so the yeah. band-aid would actually stick, you know, stay on when yeah. you're sweating. And I put it on him without touching the wound, you know. And, and probably everything would have been fine, except that Magic saw the same thing that I saw, the, the fear on everybody's face. And he felt that he was hurting the game, and he retired again. <clears throat> so he's on the front page of every newspaper in the world, but this time he's not alone. I'm on the front page with him without the gloves and the headline is reading, you know, HIV positive player is being treated by athletic trainer without gloves. And I get both, I get male people honoring me, telling me, you, you know, what a great thing you did. I get hate mail, okay, um, because everybody thinks it's a gay disease. And at that time, um, you know, the gay community was, was really under a lot of fire, um, unfortunately. You know, people, crazy people thinking that they were bringing this disease, you know, uh, to the world, which was obviously not true and, and so you know he retires again and then somebody files a formal complaint with OSHA against me personally um, OSHA is the Occupational Safety and Health Administration so I go through this year-long investigation ended up being exonerated uh, David Stern wasn't happy with me he was because uh, I didn't put the gloves on uh, as per the protocol you know, Jerry West wasn't happy with me, which really kind of, you know, bothered me because I really wanted, I always wanted Pat Riley and Jerry West, you know, love and respect. Um, and I felt like I disappointed him. But in the conversation that I had, I stuck to my guns. I said, Jerry, if I had to do it again, I would do it the same way. So you got to do what you got to do. You know, if you got to fire me, you got to fire me. Um, he didn't, thank God. Dr. Buss stood behind me. And then when I retired, okay, I'm trying not to get emotional. Of all the stuff that I have in my career, I got a letter from Adam Silver. And the letter reads uh, about how I handled that situation um, and, and how I help remove the stigma of HIV positive people in the world. And he, and he commended me um, on, in this letter. And that letter, that single letter now 
has really become my prized possession of, of my career. That was a very, very stressful time for me in my life. As you can tell, it's still, talk about 91. I mean, we're going on 30 years, you know what I mean? And, and uh, But it still uh, comes back hard. Everybody, Gary Beatty, the man, the myth, and the legend, a friend, uh, a warrior that's been through us. Gary, we love you, man. Thank you so much for sharing that with us, man. Anything else you want to tell us about your book or what you got going on? No, let me, let me go back. I appreciate all those labels you just put, put upon me. I, I, I do want to say that I do not consider myself a legend. I worked with a lot of legends. You're one of them. Um, and, and that's what I say in the book. The book is not about me. The book is nothing about me. The, the book is called 32 Years of Titles and Tears from the Best Seat in the House. And then the subtitle is What I Learned About Happiness, Greatness, and Leadership. And it's stories about guys like you that taught me lessons that I came home and, and gave to my children. And then my children started calling those lessons GV gems. And then after I retired, you know, it, I started, I was being asked to come and give inspirational speeches, which I did. And the inspirational speech was a collection of the GV gems that you guys taught me. And then I put it into book form and it's doing really well. And, and um, just so you know, I'm, in negotiations today with New York Post Entertainment, they want to make a documentary on the book. So, wow. Yeah, wow. it's really... Gary, you're a legend, man. I don't care what you say. You can think that you're not. You're a legend because <laughs> you kept a lot of us rolling, man. When we, were, we didn't feel good and we didn't want to get out there, but Gary pieced us together, man, and kept us going. Gary, thank you so much for uh, being part of the show. Uh, we appreciate it. Ari, thank you, sir. And always, always love you, Gary Beatty. Love you, Coop. Showtime with Coop is presented by betonline.ag on CLNS Media. Again, please hit that subscribe button. That way you'll automatically get the latest episodes as soon as they're released. And please make sure to leave us a rating. This is Coop, my boy AT. We out. <laughs>